Hey guys, welcome back to the BMS podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Ferry, and here with us today is Mark Sankey and special guests, Tom Vonglis and Sean Petty from Hurricane Technologies. So in today's podcast, we'll be discussing BMS systems and security. And before we dive into that, let me have Tom and Sean give a little bit of a background about their company, Hurricane Technologies, and a little bit of a personal and professional background about themselves as well. So Tom? Hey, sounds good. Thank you, Clayton. And it's great to be here. Appreciate the invitation. Hurricane Technologies, we started back in 2002. Uh, I had worked at Eastman Kodak for 22 years doing field service and support and decided uh, to, to go out on my own and, and start my own company in the technology field because back in 2002, there was really a, a large need I felt for small business IT support, which is really what we focused on. Uh, and over the years, we started to grow and grow and grow. And, and today we have about 400 clients that we do the IT support. Uh, we're a company of 11 technicians and Sean being my very first employee full-time 16 years ago was a, a great find for me. So uh, the company's been around for a long time. We've had the opportunities to work with you know folks like yourself from VS Energy, uh, being an outsource for IT support for large companies like Real America and other large organizations, as well as supporting even one-man little shops that people that work out of their houses. So we do a range of everything from computer support to network security to cabling infrastructure to uh, anything you can think of in the technology world for those folks. So my professional background, like I said, was 22 years in field service and towards the end of my career as a uh, really electrical mechanical technician was to get into Microsoft and some of the products that they had started to come out with. And it's really what got my interest in, in the technology field and starting my own business. So it's been a fun ride. And, um, you know, I can't thank Sean enough, obviously, for all that he's done for our company. And, you know, the, the opportunity to hook up with folks like yourself has been great. So that's kind of where I come from. Awesome, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, Mark and Clayton, I wanted to say, you know, thank you for having me and Tom on today. It's definitely a, a pleasure and a privilege to be a, a partner of your guys's. My professional background, I started in IT back in probably the year 2000 when I went to SUNY Brockport for computer science. And I worked at the IT help desk for four years while I was there. Um, we were the first student IT help desk that they had available. So we would basically run around and, you know, fix professors' computers. We would punch down jacks in the dorm rooms, you know, kind of do the, the gamut of uh, network services throughout the, the campus. And that was probably more valuable to me than my whole four-year degree of computer science going to college. So that hands-on experience was extremely handy to me. And then uh, I got called out in 2001 when the 9-11 happened because I was in the Army National Guard. So I had to go down to New York City and help guard the airports for uh, six months. And then after that, we got called up to Niagara Falls Air Force Base to spend a year up there. So my college career got uh, shifted a little bit and uh, it actually took me five years to graduate instead of the four. When I graduated in 2004, you know, I was obviously did not know what I was going to be doing, but Hurricane Technologies was supporting my wife's uh, where she was working. And my father was a financial investor that was helping out that company and, you know, heard of Tom and got us introduced. And I went in, did an interview with my nice leisure suit on and the rest is history. The rest is history. So here we are 16 years later. You know, I've grown from 
pretty much every position that's been available in Hurricane went from you know bench support, you know building computers, removing viruses. You know now I'm installing you know networks at the airport. So, so that's me. That's awesome, and I I really appreciate you guys coming onto this show because I think you have a lot to add, especially to this conversation regarding security. So I, I need I need to interject here because one thing that. Sean said was very, I think, impressive and really galvanizes what I I believe in that what he said about his experience at school, the hands-on experience was as valuable as his formal education. And I am absolutely 100% on that page, Sean. And uh, I appreciate you bringing that up, especially for the young listeners to recognize that when they have an opportunity to get field experience, even if you don't make a ton of money at it, all of that adds so much to supplement and enhance the educational experience. You just can't put value on it. So when you have those opportunities, you need to take them. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's completely valuable. And, and yeah, anybody can even get an unpaid internship. If you're getting experience in your field and what you want to do, it's it's worth more than your salary would be. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've taken... Uh, many a pay cuts to do internships rather than, you know, your standard summer job or winter job. And uh, that experience goes a long way, follows you the rest of your career. Yeah, and I'll, I'll interject too on that. And just to add on, Mark, I 100% agree. And I think one of the things that, you know, the folks have gotten out of being interns with us, because we have done that over the over the past, is some of the communication skills and the interpersonal skills that I think the young people definitely need to build on these days with, you know, where the world is at from a technology standpoint and how we communicate. So that field experience, that hands-on experience of the interaction with our customers and our clients, I think uh, goes a long ways to helping people grow as well. Completely agreed, man. I, I, yeah, totally. And <laughs> it might be worth discussing that I found it interesting is, you know, with everything going on in the world with uh, COVID-19 and, and what have you, a lot of, uh, a lot of companies are really experiencing a lot of slowdowns and being into the, the IT part, you guys, you've, you've had a lot going on with uh, installing, you know, any type, a lot of network stuff for remote connections and desktops and all that I can imagine, right? Yeah, there's been a lot of secure remote access we've been setting up, whether it's, you know, VPN or some of the secure um, software services you can use, like, you know, go to my PC or log me in. You know, basically everybody needed to head home. They needed to be connected into their office and make sure that connection was secure. So we've done a lot of work over the past couple of months making that happen. I can imagine a lot of places take kind of the network security and the network itself for granted. And then once they realize, once they really have to put it to work, they're like, wow, this is, we aid maybe not need to ramp up what we've got going on or, you know, and be, uh, you know, just makes them realize how important security and, and what is involved in the, the IT world to make, make this stuff happen impossible. Yeah, and absolutely. And you have a ton of different user experience levels out there. I think that's how I want to word it. You know, so when yeah. you're working with people, you know, just trying to get some of them to, you know, turn on their system and get it connected to their home network so you can get them connected to the remote network. Even that can be challenging at times. And then understanding how to properly protect them when they're linking into their enterprise systems that, you know, you have all these extra vulnerabilities that, you know, offsite networks that you need to worry about when they're now linking into their secure. Network. Yeah, I can, I can imagine the home network can be vulnerable at times if, if not maintained or utilized properly. But for today's episode, we will be talking about BMS systems and security. So what does that mean? 
just to give you the listeners a little bit of preview, we'll be discussing basically IT network security and best practices. And I think I don't want to generalize too much, but oftentimes the BMS system for a facility resides on the facility's IT network. And that, that IT network, it can be very large, have multiple different VLANs, a lot of different systems on it. So there's a lot of, maybe we'd call it doors that can be open to get into the network. And one of those doors could be through the BMS system or one or a different door could get you into the BMS system. So security is obviously of utmost importance in this. And I don't know, I think a good, just diving right into it, a good starting point for the conversation would be talking about firewalls. I don't know if Sean, you want to give me a little bit, what is a firewall? Why is it important? And maybe that might be one of the most important security tools on a network, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anytime you connect something to a network, you can use um, you know, either a software firewall that's built in with the operating system or uh, an appliance firewall that has you know, a software solution on top of it that handles that, that firewall for you. Typically, when you have multiple networks, you would have a firewall that would be either controlling those multiple networks or a firewall that sits in between you know, the, like the guest network and your BMS networks. And you can control what goes in and out of that you know, between both networks. Right. One mistake a lot of people will make is when they go out and deploy a firewall, they'll worry about all the stuff that can come into a network, but they won't you know, worry about what can go out of a network. You know, so on the BMS side, I don't know if there's proprietary data and stuff that you want, don't want freely flowing outside of your network, but you know, when you go and you put a firewall in, you want to make sure you're locking down both sides of the house and not just saying, hey, we don't want anything coming in. You also want to say, oh, we only want this stuff going out. Yeah, I can imagine. Like you said, that could be a common oversight. I don't know. I think Mark could probably add to what what information could be coming out of a BMS network that's pretty critical, but there's a lot. Well, there's, there's oftentimes quite a bit, especially when you go to facilities that have multiple integrations using the BMS as a platform and or the BMS is supporting specific proprietary processes by providing environmental conditions and bringing in data from a manufacturing information system potentially doing some processing, statistical analysis, correlation, and reporting, the BMS has quite a bit of information that can be obtained from it. And and to the extent that you make that available, that is a vulnerability from a business perspective. There may be things you don't want your competitors to know about you, about your process, about what information or, or what systems are installed in your building, any of that. Would that be some would that be where like uh device passwords and stuff could be accessed through as well then to be able to get into other parts of the network or another door so, in? So it all depends on the network device. So some of them will, you know, send out uh information over the network encrypted and that stuff would be obviously more challenging for someone to intercept those passwords. Right. You know, I know like a lot of old DVR and NVR and probably BMS type devices, you know, they probably aren't encrypting that traffic or at least they weren't in the past or people are leaving, you know, default, you know, admin, admin, or yep. in one, two, three, four, and leaving those passwords default thinking that that network's secure and nobody's ever going to hop onto it. You know, and then you get one guy with a you know laptop or something that hops onto that network and they, get, you know, they have a worm or something. And next thing you know, they're all those devices are controlled or taken over. Yeah. Doing something definitely. they're not supposed to be doing. And we had that conversation in our, uh, I, I don't want to know. I don't know if it was our IoT and network security uh, podcast, but we talked exactly about that. People don't change the 
you know, out of the box username and passwords. And that's a, in, in the IOT world, a very easy door in, into a, a system, it seems like. Yeah. So the, the big purpose of the firewall is, you know, controlling the source and the destination, you know, from both ways and then what traffic is allowed to go both ways. And that's really what that appliance is supposed to do in that middle of everything is seeing. Hey, this guy at this IP can come in and talk to this port on this device over here, and that's all the traffic you you want. If you do have like certain Windows devices, you might want to say, okay, these devices can link out to this update server and pull down updates only from this server. Right. So control all that kind of stuff with a firewall rule, and not have to worry about what the the device itself is going to try to do. Mm-hmm. So, moving on in our conversation, then maybe building from the firewall some common threats to building networks. And I assume the firewall obviously helps mitigate these common threats, right? If it's configured properly, yes. Okay, if it's configured properly. So uh, what are some common threats? And I just, my limited network knowledge, uh, I use Google. So add to these if you want, or tell me maybe if they aren't really common threats, but malware, ransomware, botnets, viruses, uh, phishing, obviously happens a lot, I know that. Uh, yep. so, so most of the firewalls you can purchase today will also allow you to add on a sec- security subscription service, which will scan and detect a lot of these things. You know, they will have a list of botnet servers that they know about that they'll just block by default. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing they do, you know, scanning at the firewall level for viruses. You know, phishing is a little harder because that's usually targeted towards an end user. Right. So, you know, we're getting people now, they're getting cell phone calls for phishing messages saying, hey, this is Microsoft. You know, we just detected a, a virus on your computer. You need to let us log in and take care of it. And believe it or not, you will get people that will allow them to log into their computer. Next thing you know, they're calling the tech department saying, hey, I just let this guy log onto my computer. Now I can't access anything. And bam, they got a ransomware infection or, you know, that guy may have just logged on, you know, installed something for later on that he can use. And Right. You know, so there's a ton of things. That's crazy to think about. I mean, I, I don't think I, I don't, I don't trust anything or anybody. I, I mean, but yeah, it's scary when you get that call or that email saying your computer is, and you know, whatever, let me log in and I'll fix it. And you're like, Oh, please. Some people really want that. But yeah. And the, the other big thing was, is like malware and ransomware is some of these programs have like legitimate purposes. So think of malware as like a, a password keeper that you might install in Chrome as an extension. You know, a piece of malware could do the same exact thing and not appear to be malicious, but it could be sending those passwords back to you know, its control server or some dark net website. And, you know, anytime yeah. you type in your banking password, you know, it's going to somebody else. But oh. uh, technically, it's not a, a virus or a bad thing on the computer. It's just a piece of software that's doing something you didn't know it was doing in the back end. Um, so that's why a lot of these antivirus and you know, anti-spyware programs are having issues detecting some of these threats is because they're not really doing anything malicious. They're just they're, you know, doing what you told them they're supposed to be able to do. They're just sending that data to someone that they're not supposed to be sending it to. So, and I think an interesting statistic I found on the internet, and, and I have this on my notes attached to the malware ransomware, maybe it's not, but is that IoT attacks have increased by 217.5% from 27 to 2018. And to me, that is just a crazy statistic to see. And I, you know, now we're in 2020, I can imagine that probably is still on the rise. Yeah. And that's just going to keep growing and growing, you know, as they develop more automated ways to install, you know, ransomware and malware. And mm-hmm. like, you know, people can go out and buy a kit that can actually deploy it for you. Like you don't even have to know how to code anymore to attack somebody. That's crazy. Right. And uh, that's and right. It's still the, the biggest threat to 
most networks is the either the end user that's you know has the device and they're you know not aware of these things, or mm -hmm. it's you know whoever installed whatever's supposed to be protecting the network and doesn't know the best practices that you know don't open up ports in your network. Don't just say, hey, anybody can come and connect to our remote server. Next thing you know, you got three bots on there that are you know controlling and doing tax returns for somebody over in India or something. So, so one of the things we've been able to do is some of that kind of training for people. So we've got a piece of software that we uh, deploy and it actually sends out phishing emails and things like that, that allows to train your employees uh, to, to whether or not they click on it or not. And if they click on a phishing email, uh, something they shouldn't do, an email comes back to us, we get a notification, uh, it becomes a training training procedure for employees. So there is a lot of that kind of stuff out there going on. Uh, it's something we've deployed and we've got, you know, a number of our clients that use it. Uh, it's called know before. So uh, that's, that's a good piece of piece of software. To it's use pretty well. interesting. So you kind of, you do it, but when they make the mistake, all they get is a slap on the wrist and not any, anything bad happens. Hopefully Correct. they learn from it. That is, that's genius. I don't know. It's right. pretty interesting to it's just a, you know, with all, all the stuff going on, it allows an IT company, right? Just another, another thing to do and to help support those customers to make them more secure. It's another product that we can sell. Uh, it's another, you know, it's just another service that we have on our, in our toolbox. And it's a harmless learning experience. I, I suppose probably once, once something happens to a, a individual security wise and they, they get breached, they, they're a little bit more careful, but this is that's probably a good way for them to learn and not have the uh, the ramifications of actually you know having been get mail malware ransomware phishing all that stuff. So in, in general, Sean, can you compare compare and contrast what might be embedded security in a typical business laptop in terms of the operating system, most probably Microsoft versus using external appliances and maybe what might be the risk for not using external appliances, uh, you know, where you see the benefits, those yeah, kinds so of things. Yeah, the, so the built-in, you know, firewall on a laptop is just Windows firewall. If you enable it completely, you, you know, you risk the chance of not being able to talk to anything on the network. And it, you know, for the end user, it can be kind of tough to configure yourself without getting IT involved and for IT to go out there and try to touch every laptop and configure that, you know, Windows platform to say you can and can't talk to this particular device can be a challenge to protect the network as a whole. Obviously getting an appliance in place is, you know, you're, you want that whether you have the Windows firewall enabled or not, you know, because even if you protect every device on that network, you're still going to have printers or servers or, you know, your BMS stuff that's sitting there and you need to protect that somehow. No, that makes perfect sense. I, maybe maybe this isn't the right spot to bring up the conversation, but to me, I, I I'm thinking about the VLANs for facilities networks as opposed to like a completely dedicated network and sec security wise. Like to me, a VLAN it, it it obviously opens up more opportunities for doors in right from other networks. I don't know if it's worth talking about you know, security regarding VLANs to yeah. having like a dedicated network? Yeah. So, you know, whether it's a dedicated network or a virtual network with your VLAN, you would still have, you know, that firewall would still control the access between those different subnets, you know, so you're going to say, okay, this BMS network can talk to this device over here on the corporate network, but no other devices. Otherwise, you know, that guy on, that's trying to get to the BMS network, he's going to have to go around and physically plug into, you know, each dedicated network and you know, with whatever device he has. 
So it's it, it definitely logistically makes it a lot easier if you have a firewall that can control that access logically. Mm -hmm. You know, you can say it's more secure physically, but you know, once any of those networks connect to an internet or an another network connection that has to talk to somebody else, you're still going to have to have that firewall that's controlling that in and out. You know, it's no difference than the uh, the security checkpoints at a an airport. You know, if you don't have one on the right side of the building, you know, people are just going to walk in and out. So. Well, and Sean, I, I like that analogy because once you get to the security checkport, uh, checkpoint, if you don't have ID, first level of authentication, if you don't have a ticket, second level of authentication, you get turned away. And then you go through the scanner when you can get turned away again. So there, there are definitely degrees of security using external appliances. And the firewall certainly Sean and knows better than I do, but you know, that'll control traffic in and out of the network from a standpoint of outside the building. And it's also controlling that traffic inside the building. So, you know, within each one of those networks, that firewall can control that traffic. So I think that's important because sometimes the security risks aren't just from an external source, but can be internal as well. Yeah. That's a really good point to make. Actually, people don't, I, I imagine people facilities, whatever you want to you know call it, don't think of it like that too often. Yeah, they don't. So the the other thing we've been, you know, working on a lot over this past couple of years is multi-factor authentication, which Mark, after you brought up the ticket and the, you know, getting through the checkpoint and you needed a couple of forms of ID to be able to do that. It, you know, it's the same thing with any online service or, you know, VPN access into the network or, you know, any device you can harden with that multi-factor authentication. So you know, what that means is, you know, kind of like what we set up for the airport where when, once you VPN in, you still need your username and password, but then you're going to get a code sent over to your phone or, you know, your authenticator app that you have to put that code in that and that code rotates, you know, every 30 seconds. So the chance of that getting hacked goes down to very, 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 very slim. I love that multi-factor authentication. It is, it is such, it, it's such a small inconvenience for so much security, it seems like. Like some people just hate it. They don't want to have to log in and then get the text message and then type in the you know six digits. But I've seen I see a lot of things doing that now. And it every time any service I do that does multi-factor authentication, I'm like, sign me up. Yes, I mean. Well, and that's the they call that the brute force attack. So you know the technology today is so powerful they can just cycle through passwords in you know milliseconds before. Next thing you know, your, your network's hacked in under a day and you know, people are hopping on and doing things. The other thing that helps prevent that is um, a lockout timer. So if you try to enter your password in more than so many times, you know, it locks that account out for you know, 10 minutes or something like that. And then that could right. prevent those brute force attacks from being able to automate it. Yeah, there's so much to, be, to think about. I mean, yeah, it, you, it's a good point. So you're saying even though you have multi-factor authentication, it doesn't mean that you know, there's enough computing power out there by somebody to just cycle through and get in. Yep, absolutely. And that's, wow. you know, when you, you, you got your list of stuff there with the botnets and the DDoS attacks, you know, those botnets can be used for, for specifically that kind of attack. So, you know, these guys will infect, you know, millions of, you know, devices throughout the world. And then they'll say, okay, today we are going to target you know, Microsoft or, you know, this guy's server, and we're just going to bash it until we get through, or we're going to bring down that network, you know, which goes down to your, your DDoS attack. You yeah. Know, you know, I've never really, I've honestly never heard of a DDoS attack until I started doing my research for this episode. And it's crazy. It's stuff's just crazy. Yeah. So basically what that does is they just, 
you know, they say so many devices are all just going to blast this one IP address or, you know, network all at the same time. And that's just going to, you know, cause, even if they have the best firewall in the world, it's going to cause that firewall to have to take care of that traffic and say yes or no to allow it in. And while it's doing that, you know, that device is just kind of, you know, it's like rubbing an engine as high as you can. So it can't do anything else while it's doing that. That's nuts. What about like, so we, we covered pretty much everything. I think the last one on this list for common threats is a Trojan horse, right? Yeah, so these used to be very um, popular back in the days. I don't know if you guys ever heard of like the Nimda worm. Yep. So that one, like, because back in the day, everybody used to use the password, you know, the username admin, and then they would flip it and use the password Nimda. So some coder out there just said, oh, let me create this Trojan horse that can just, you know, hop onto a network and it'll just look for anything that uses the, the admin and Nimda password and it would just populate itself to all these different devices on networks. And it actually happened at the college I was going to and we had to run around and run removal tools on every single device that was open on that network. And Oh my well, gosh. But you know, once they're, once those Trojans are onto a computer that, you know, all they do is install their little payload to let them talk back to their control server and say, here's what I want you to do next. So a lot of times what will happens with like the ransomware infections is somebody will get a little Trojan on their computer and it's, it's not really doing anything, but now it's sitting there, you know, waiting to be told something to do. And, that, and then, you know, whether it's scheduled or, you know, somebody sends it a trigger then boom, it can do ransomware, it can do malware, it can just sit there and monitor your network, you know, whatever it wants to do. Man, that there's just there is so much in the in the world of security that it's crazy. What you have to be concerned about and worry about, and I think what a lot of people don't and take for granted that oh everything's all right, whatever. So, and we've covered, you know, I think we've reiterated a firewall is, I don't know, would you consider that probably the most important piece of network security, right? I would say it's your first line of defense for your overall network environment. What, yes. a, what are some other lines of defense then? End user training is, I would say right after your firewall is your number one. So like Tom was talking about our mm -hmm. partner know before, they call it the human firewall. So the, the smarter you can make your users to be aware and you know, what to look out for and you know, understand the threats that are out there. And it doesn't even have to be a technical threat. It could be somebody walking into your building and say, hey, I'm the Maytag guy. I'm here to fix your you know, air control right. unit. And yeah. you know, if they let them in, they could be back there plugging into your network doing you know, who knows what. So you know, educating your users is definitely top of the line for you know, whatever your, your network is. Mm -hmm. And then I would say you know, definitely patching you know, any devices that have security updates, keeping active subscription for your security software, whether it's you know, your firewall security subscription or your antivirus or anti-malware program on your computer. A lot of people will buy it once and then, you know, it'd be good for 90 days when they got the computer. Next thing you know, it's expired and they don't even realize it or understand it. I'm, I'm just going to follow on to what Sean said, especially in the BMS world, very common for, especially as systems age, for customers to no longer feel the need or requirement to do software updates, and that would include security updates. Reason being, well, we've had the system for five years, we've never had a problem, and it seems like we're paying too much money for these software updates and security updates, et cetera, and they stop. That in and of itself is an issue, not only from the operation of the BMS, because as it goes further and further out of date and out of uh, application updates, it also goes further and further out of date in operating system updates and huge uh, 
um, potential for not only system problems, but also security problems. Yeah, absolutely. And what we usually try to explain to the customers that are not having any technical issues, you're, you know, that is because we're coming out there, we're patching things, we're updating, we're maintaining that, you know, environment properly. The ones that are saying, you know, why am I calling you every other week? I'm like, well, we're not out here doing proactive maintenance. So, you know, things are breaking down or, you know, this is getting hacked or. Yeah, it's all reactive. Right, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, being that, you know, proactive, getting those patches in place and trying to explain to the the client that, you know, that this is why your systems have running so smoothly for the past five years. It's a tough thing to get across to them, but, you know, hopefully they've been on the other side of that where systems haven't been taken care of and they can see when that happens, things don't work quite as well for them. Absolutely. So, and you alluded to another point of discussion actually being, don't let the the Maytag man or whatever you call them come in and plug into your network. So we'll talk about like physical security too. But um, question for you then is what, what about guest networks and security? Like, obviously it seems like everywhere you go, there's a guest Wi-Fi network for anybody and maybe they have passwords, maybe they don't, but how does that play into like the whole, the, the facility security on the network? Yeah. So same thing, you know, with any other network is, you know, that's going to be controlled by the firewall. So you're going to separate either, you know, you could do that one physically, but it still makes sense to do it logically because you probably have one internet connection coming into your um, environment. So you would still separate that out through your firewall. And at this point, you would just say, you know, no traffic can flow either way. So you don't want the BMS traffic to even be able to get to the guest traffic or the guest network and vice versa. So even if somebody did get on one or the other networks and tried to, the firewall would just say, hey, you can't do that. I'm not going to let you through. Okay. So that's where you're, that's again, where the biggest line of defenses is through that firewall. Yeah, I still recommend you know having some kind of content filtering on your guest network because you don't want somebody jumping on your guest network and either doing something malicious, illegal, or going right. out to whatever websites that you don't want seen from your internet address. Right, okay. You know, yeah. So putting some kind of web content filtering on top of your firewall is it's always a good idea because you know, even if you don't block a lot of legit websites, there's still you know, known malware sites, botnet networks that you can block with those content filters. Mm-hmm. And that's usually just a subscription you can layer onto your firewall. Hmm. Never knew that, honestly. So I don't know if Mark or Tom, you got anything to add to that before we, we roll on. No, I think, I mean, I think it is important that to know too, it's generally one device that is, is segmenting, segmenting those networks too. You know, when you go in and see a private network and a guest network, the realization is that that's coming from one device. And, and so the configuration, again, like Sean has said, if it's not configured properly, then there can be problems because you're literally, you know, you think of the access points that we install today, the technology in them, you can set up multiple SSIDs on those. And so it is all flowing through one device. And, and so the security and the setup of those things is, is really quite important. Yeah. Yeah. And what we have seen, you know, at places is people will just set up a guest network and think it's separate. And what they'll end up doing is either like putting in another, you know, just throwing a wireless router on their network, but it'll be underneath their main one. And underneath networks always have upstream access to the network above it. So if you plug a router underneath your primary router, that whole network underneath there now has access to your primary network. So like understanding how things need to be physically connected and logically separated is, is very important. So if you do have a guest network, you know, it would, be worthwhile to have somebody come out and check it out and just make sure you can't get access to anything else that you're not supposed to get access to. The other big thing with guest network is I would never recommend not putting a password on them. If you don't put a password on them, you never know who has access to that network. You know, even if it's 
a simple password that they have to go to the you know the front desk for and ask for. Mm -hmm. At least it's still limiting the access on that network. And then I would recommend you know rotating that guest password every so often. Oh, that's a good point too. So uh, I have a question along those lines, Sean. So now you're uh, if if you travel frequently for business or pleasure, and in the pre-COVID days you would stay in a hotel. How do you know at a hotel how secure their network is? You don't, and you know that's where you would rely on a piece of either a piece of software firewall on your computer, whether it's Windows firewall or you know a number of the you know subscription firewalls you can buy, or you can bring you know some companies will give people a little hardware firewalls that they have to plug into the hotel network, and that becomes their internet connection, and then they set underneath their hardware firewall, and that links them back securely to their network. So there, there's ways to do it. It just depends on how, I guess, tightened you need that appliance that you're connecting at that hotel. Hmm. But the uh, the other thing you can do is there's software VPNs, you know, kind of like when yep. we set that one up at the airport, you know, your laptop would be linked into that network and the only access it can have now is to that network. So even if there was something else on the, uh, you know, that hotel network, as long as you're securely VPNed in and you're tunneling all that traffic over your VPN connection, nothing else is going to see that data. Makes sense. Yes. Yeah, guest networks can be unsecure and you never know what else is on that network. And, you know, if they prevented guests from talking to other guests, you know, that's the best way to do it. But if they didn't, you know, somebody could be on there trying to bash into your computer as soon as you hook up to it. There's a lot to this. And Adam, just just to take a step back, you know, to look at it uh, from the 10,000 foot, I know this is this is a very security, obviously a security related conversation and, and why it's in the BMS uh, podcast series is because all of this, like I said, all of this ties together. A lot of facilities, right, Sean? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the best way to explain it, but a lot of facilities, the BMS network rides on the same, you know, whatever network as the guest, as the, I don't know. There's a whole lot of different networks that could be all tied together somehow. So that's why security, as a blanket, is extremely important, right? Because yeah. if you leave one door open, that can get you to hundreds of other doors, if you want to use an analogy. Yeah, and, and even if you did have that BMS completely separated, you know, there's people nowadays, or if they haven't already, they're still going to eventually want remote access to those systems. And as soon as you connect that to the internet, you have all the same problems all these other networks have. So okay, yeah, that's really security good. security of the holes. It's, it's no different. You know, now you got your, your main maintenance guy sitting in a hotel room. He thinks he's secure, hopping onto his network, and the guy next door set up a, he can set up his own wireless hotspot and, pretend that he's the hotel network and now you just hopped onto a hacker's wireless network and you know he's probably doing a lot more attacking than <laughs> normal and now your maintenance yeah. guy just got hacked and who knows what's going to happen yeah he's not doing right. free diagnostics on your laptop <laughs> right yeah so there's a there's definitely a lot of threats out there and like i said the minute you hook into that internet or any other network that's where you need to be able to control things both physically logically and the end user wise because as soon as you grant somebody access to they become your weak point. So let's talk a little bit about like physical security then as in keeping servers, switches, all that stuff kind of under lock and key. Does that, do you see that happening a lot? I mean, to me, especially in facilities, I notice there's a, it, there seems to be a lot of open places where somebody could connect in, you know, if it's a switch kicking under a desk or a, what have you? And obviously those provide their own vulnerabilities. 
Yeah, absolutely. Any open port into the network can be a, a huge vulnerability. I mean, they have network cables now that are little computers, so they could just plug a cable into your network and walk away, and it could just be sitting there doing stuff, and you wouldn't even know it. Really? Anybody that looked at it would just say, oh, that's just a cable. You know, it's not going to do anything, but... You know, wow. These, these I, had, I didn't know that. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, it's crazy. And then they get um, you know, ones that look like little USB flash drives. They'll stick those into computers, and they're actually you know sending out wireless signals and getting access to stuff, and or just sniffing you know networks to see what they can do. So yeah, anything physical that you can lock down a network is better. Obviously, you know you want your network closets and server rooms all those physically locked. It's also a great idea to have access control where you know who's going in and out of that. If it's a possibility, also have those have a camera on you know at least your main server rooms and stuff like that, so you know. You know, if somebody went in and plugged something in, you can at least go back and look at that camera and see who did that. Oh yeah, and like phys- like, and you you mean like physical access control? Like I need a badge into this door correct. to get into the server room, so everybody knows who went in and out. So if something happened, you know, yep. these ten yeah. people went in yep. today. Okay. Yeah, and then the other thing that you can do is there's ways you can lock down network ports. So you can, there's switches out there that could say only this device with this particular MAC address can connect to this port on this switch. And once you do that, anybody that tries to plug into that switch is not going to get any access. Now, a lot of people don't do that because that's a huge pain in the butt for anybody who's just trying to get things hooked up and connected. Mm -hmm. Um, Security wise though, it's, I mean, it's one of the best things you can do because people just can't plug into your network and start trying to do stuff. Well, is that somewhat along the lines of like, if well, I get maybe not, but you know, if you have a switch with 48 ports and you, you could program ports one, two, three, and four to be this VLAN and the rest of them then are, could be nothing. Right. So I ostensibly, I couldn't just plug in and get on to the network or is right. that. Yeah. So that would be like layer one is right. Just like any port you're not using, just disable them. So if somebody plugs into them, it's, they can't get access to anything and they can't accidentally like loop back a cable and bring down a network. Mm-hmm. The step two is like, let's say somebody went under a desk and unplugged a computer that did have a network connection. They could now yep. plug into that port, start doing stuff. If you put that, they call it what's um, a Mac address control. So basically each network device has a Mac address, which is right. unique. Um, you can say, Hey, only these Mac addresses can you know connect to this network. And that kind of prevents any rogue devices from coming onto your system. Right. Oh, that makes sense. And you said that that generally doesn't occur just because it's pretty labor intensive on a programming end? Or? Yeah, that is very labor intensive. You know, just think about how many devices people yeah. are connecting these days. And yep. to have an IT department that can actually go around and say, okay, give me your MAC address. You know, I got to plug that in. All right, go test it out. You know, that whole conversation is difficult. But in secure environment, environments, it makes sense. You probably wouldn't do it in a normal corporate office that is just doing routine stuff, but, and, you know, it does have a lot of public walking through, but for like a, an airport or, you know, a government building, you know, I'm betting they probably have that stuff locked down. Right. Because they have a dedicated IT team that spends time on this too. And like you said, there's a lot of facilities that don't and don't probably take all the measures necessary. Well, that's true. We, we just finished a project in a facility that falls under ITAR compliance and that's um, international traffic and arms regulations. And their server room is read in, read out, cameras watching, all access to it, as well as being continuously monitored, monitored from a security perspective. So, you know, they would be at the top end of the scale compared to probably most places that we and you work in. 
Yeah, absolutely. Probably the majority of the businesses, certainly that we're doing support for, do not have lock and key doors. We're trying to encourage more and more of them, especially some of the financial institutions we support, uh, certainly the banks that we support, uh, those kind of things. But it, unfortunately, it's not cheap to do. You know, when you start talking about the physical security of putting a door in, adding a whole access control system to your to your building and to your you know to your your environment. So the, the physical security can sometimes be tough. Uh, a lot of times I think it's awareness, you know, of watching and the employees knowing who's coming and going, seeing where they're going, what they're doing. Uh, that, that lends a lot to physical security when it comes to networks to, to say, Hey, I saw a guy plug something in over there and I don't think he should have been doing that. What was that? And just that awareness. And that goes back to some of the training, even uh, when you talk about like the know before we're doing for, for the fishing and that kind of stuff, there's also training out there for people to be aware of physical security. And we actually do that at Hurricane once a year, we require our employees to go through a training session, um, you know, that gives examples of all those different things and, and it's become quite good for us. Well, and I think it's like any security device and I don't care whether it's a padlock or a lock on your house or even insurance, all of that stuff's in you know in a perfect world would be completely unnecessary in our world it is necessary and i always think about why am i spending so much money on insurance well it's always expensive until you need it and, it, and then if you don't have it you think i should have bought insurance yeah, yeah. and uh just a, a thought that came to mind too you know the the way our world functions almost everything is smart right quote unquote smart so like I got to imagine facilities that put in, you could call it smart monitors, smart TVs. I mean, everything that is just another point of access for somebody, right? Essentially. Yeah, absolutely. So that's another thing people are starting to create is their own IoT network. So now you have your, you know, your guest network, you have your private Wi-Fi, you have your private wired network, and now you have a an IoT network because you don't want to really throw those on your private networks because who knows you know, who made those devices? What are those linking back to? Who's talking to them? Mm -hmm. You don't want to throw them on your guest network because you don't want people just hopping onto them and you know taking them. <laughs> doing whatever. Yeah, yeah. So now you need you need a fourth network just for your basic setup, right? Yeah. And then now you need a firewall to say, okay, I need these devices on my private network to be able to talk to my IoT network, you know, over here. So it, it does get kind of complicated, but in the long run, you know, it's just like that insurance we're talking about. It's better to do it up front and pay for it and do it right rather than worry about it afterwards. And now you're the, you know, the next main page of a cyber attack on the news and you know, you're notifying all your customers that, hey, I'm sorry, your data just got breached because we start installed the smart TV in our conference room and didn't harden it down. And Yeah. Well, and, and it's that simple stuff. It's not just the physical damage. So now we have loss by the customer. It is the damage to brand that can be almost unrecoverable. You know, if you, we, any of us let our customers' private information out, that becomes front page news and that damage to, to your brand, to your image, to your business is, is hard to measure, but it's big. Well, like, that happened. I know we talked about it in, in this podcast series, but the target incident, right? I mean, right. every time I go to target, not every time, but quite often when I'm there, I mean, when I'm checking out and I put my card in, I'm like, Hmm, I always think about it. So it can happen. It's real. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that, the threats are out there and um, chances are, you know, your data is probably already out there on the dark web circulating, whether it's your credit card or a, an old website that you signed up for and somebody, you know, either hacked that or purchased it in the back end and now they're getting on that account information or, you know, like LinkedIn's been hacked. You know, there's there's tons of places out there where people's data has been breached already and it's just circulated in the back end and you know, people are receiving emails with their email address and an old password that they use for something and I guess we should bring that up, you know, with the use of the same password over and over again, that's a, a huge risk for oh, scenarios yeah. like that, where you get one system that gets hacked, they got your password from that system, you use that same system to connect into your corporate network, bam, that guy now has access to your corporate network, simply because you signed up for some web forum that you wanted to talk about, you know, missiles on or something. Yeah, well, and you know, to I, I'm not gonna lie, I mean, I think maybe even the listeners tuning in, and we're all at some point pretty uh uh what's the right word we've all done it right i mean i've sadly have reused passwords for things because i'm like how many passwords how many accounts do i have and how many passwords do i want to think of to change them all so yeah we're all we've all done it and it's definitely a huge security risk so good point, yeah. Sean. <laughs> well, and you know, to relate that to the BMS side of things, you know, I don't know if there's probably vendors out there who use one generic password across many of their clients. So what could happen is that vendor either got hacked or a guy left that client or that company and went to another competitor or whatnot. Now they have access to every single client that they've installed a BMS system for because they you know used one generic password that they shared with all their employees. So the you definitely want to have unique passwords for employees whenever possible. So if there's a device that supports multiple user accounts, set up a password for whoever needs access to it. Don't create one generic admin account and give it to everybody that works with you. You know, because anytime that guy leaves, now you have to go around and change all those passwords or you know that network is open to security risk if you don't do that. And same thing with client to client. At a minimum, you want to make sure you don't use the same password between client to client on any of their devices for their network. Sean, that is really, really valuable information for BMS users because almost I would say 90% of the systems we've ever seen installed by, say, by common manufacturers uh, use the same master admin passwords on all their systems. So company A has one password they use on all their systems. Company B, one password they use on all their systems. And I'm not talking about the manufacturers. I'm talking about the installing companies. So by any mechanism, a bad actor obtains one of those passwords, they now have access to all of those customers, all of the customers of that specific installer. Yeah, and that's a huge risk. That's why a lot of uh, companies are now moving to like some kind of password control system where like this information gets entered into this password manager and you know it tracks who's accessed these passwords. Uh, ideally, what you would do is obviously set up unique accounts so nobody needs to know anybody else's password. Like if you need access to the system, you know, you've already been given an account, you use your own password, you don't need to know the master password. And then on top of that, if you can learn on that multi-factor authentication, that does prevent some of that because if that person does leave or you go to another client, like you're still going to need a code from some device that gets you into that device. There's so much to it, to network security. I'm glad we we had this podcast episode. Hopefully for listen, I mean, I learned a lot just in this one hour of conversation. So hopefully our listeners did too. I think you guys from Hurricane are adding a lot of value to the conversation. We appreciate your expertise. Well, I've definitely learned a little bit about the BMS system since I've been listening to your podcast streams lately. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. And, and, you know, I think the 
especially now with IoT, BMS, the issues surrounding security and the need for care and maintenance uh, from the security side have just become more and more and more prevalent. And uh, hopefully customers will take that to heart, be vigilant because the last thing any BMS manufacturer or installer wants is their system to be a weak point for either a hacker or for internal entities to be able to do bad things with the BMS. And, you know, back in the early days of BMS, I'll just close with this. And I actually had it in another podcast when they're on a very large campus in upstate New York, uh, students figured out that they could hijack the RAM in the controllers and use it as a music file sharing system. So the, the school was having difficulty. Controllers weren't responding. They were sluggish. They, you know, temperatures wouldn't maintain. And they found in the RAM of the controllers when they did some diagnostics that the students had been sharing music files in the enormous BMS system they had installed on the campus. Amazing. That sounds a lot like what they're doing now with um, crypto jacking. So people are doing the same thing to people's laptops, computers, phones. They're installing little apps that are now mining Bitcoin. Right. <laughs> Without people even knowing. And I suppose, yeah, that could happen, like I said, on a BMS network too. I mean, it has, like Mark said. So that's yeah. just, it's crazy what can be done well, maliciously to a When network. you look at it, I mean, every it seems like every device you get today goes on the network one way or another and they're all becoming yeah, intertwined. So that network security, because you don't have physical separation of them anymore, becomes more and more important. It seems like. Mm -hmm. And that's the, exactly. And that's the whole point, kind of a good, you know, overarching point of this conversation is we're, we're having this conversation in the BMS podcast because it all ties together. And the BMS network is a part of a much larger network. And many times I think for facilities. Yeah, and one of the big things for everybody to always remember is never sacrifice security for convenience. Like it might be a little harder for you to get in your front door, but you're going to appreciate it when nobody else is walking through that front door. Oh, yeah. Like like I said, with the two-factor authentication, I mean, every time I have to log into, you know, a VPN you guys set up for me, yeah, I got to type in my username and password, and then I got to wait, you know, 10 seconds and type in that six-digit password. But it I imagine just the added security to that is so worth it and it's such a small inconvenience for me, but at least I know it's secure. With that being said, thanks for tuning in guys. And Tom and Sean, thanks a lot for coming and being on part of this podcast. For more information about the company Hurricane Technologies, check out their website, www.huratech.com. And same thing for us. For more information on VS Energy, check out our website, www.vsenergy.us. A lot of great content on both websites, a lot of information. If you need any IT or security help, obviously reach out to a Hurricane. So thanks a lot, guys, and thanks for tuning in to our listeners. Our next episode, we'll be doing kind of a 180-degree turn. We'll be diving into some mechanical equipment, uh, specifically chillers. So stay tuned and have a great day.